We're going to open our Bibles now uh, to our text for this morning. It comes to us from Revelation chapter 17. We're going to read from the start of Revelation 17 through to uh, chapter 19, verse 10. Uh, And Jeff will be reading uh, those words for us this morning. All right, a nice big one for us this morning. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on the many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with wine at her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominable things and with the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that woman was drunk with her blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast, she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is, not, and will come up out of the abyss and go into his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, in whose names have been written in the book of life, from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but who are for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be called the chosen and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw, where the prostitute sits, are people, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish this purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendour. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for evil spirits, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. 
The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up in the heavens and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion of her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glories and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never ever mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendour have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such such wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw the dust on their heads and they will weep and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heavens. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of the harpist and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men's. By your magic spell all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. And he condemns the great prostitute who corrupted by the earth her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants 
And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, like loud pearls of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. It's pretty heavy going. Uh, there's some strange and bizarre stuff there. But we're going to work our way through it because these words are given to us uh, and they're given for us today. Uh, and there's much benefit uh, for us in them. Uh, you might have caught this in the news about a month ago. Uh, there was a story uh, from India. Uh, a 27-year-old man by the name of Raphael Samuels is suing his parents um, I mean, that happens every so often, but this case is a little unique. He is suing his parents for giving birth to him. Uh, He says he was born without his consent. He says that life is so full of suffering and misery that had he had the choice, he would never have been born. So his parents are culpable and he is planning on suing them. They must be so proud. Uh, Actually, they're both lawyers. His dad is um, a bit angry at him. His mum thinks it's hilarious. Uh, and no one will take his case, unsurprisingly. Uh, it's a bizarre, obviously a bizarre story. He's pretty much done it just for publicity. Uh, and it's very extreme. But you might think, uh, you might have heard, uh, as I've heard from grandparents and parents uh, dozens and dozens of times, the question, which is somewhat similar, how could you bring up a child in this world? I mean, after all, the world is confusing, it's hard, there's lots of uh, dangerous and strange things in it. Uh, who would want to bring up a child in this world? Uh, Usually accompanied by, it was so much simpler when I was. But there's a point there, isn't there? I mean, the world is hard. The world is confusing. The world is dangerous. Uh, Is it irresponsible, therefore, to bring children into it? Uh, Does Mr Samuels have a point? Are we wrong to bring children in the world? Have Sam and Nat, all parents here, uh, actually just made a cruel decision by having kids. I mean, after all, what we've seen in Revelation over the last month or so seems to kind of confirm that, doesn't it? It's been disaster and plague and persecution and suffering and hardship over and over again, all sorts of things which no sane parent would ever wish upon their kids. Is it wrong to bring them in the world then? Well, what we see here in Revelation 17 through 19 is, yes, all of those things are coming, but good is coming too. 
good that tells us that we ought not fear for our children. We should tell them what the world is really like, as this chapter shows us. Evil is real, that it has an end, but the glory is real too, even more real, and it's eternal. How do you face evil, such evil? How do you receive this glory? Well, all of that is shown us in these chapters and that's what we're going to see here this morning. Now, if you've been with us for much of this series, you'll know that Revelation is full of weird and wonderful characters. All these strange and bizarre creatures appear on the scene uh, but today is perhaps right up there with the strangest of the strange. We see it there in verse 3 to, five, uh, three to 6. Sorry. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and jewels. She held up a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. John sees this incredible picture, this woman uh, in a desert riding this grotesque beast. Uh, If you're struggling to picture that, uh, we haven't, we've got an attempt. Um, there should be a picture. I don't know if what you pictured looks roughly like that. Uh, that's pretty bizarre. Now, if nothing else, I think that picture tells us that we shouldn't take this literally because, <laughs> I mean, that just seems pretty unlikely. Uh, what's even more unlikely is the fact that we're told the whole world follows that beast and worships it and thinks it's uh, beautiful. Uh, I don't see humanity chasing that. Uh, except to kill it, because it, it, it's pretty grotesque. So if that's not what we're to expect, what are we to expect? We can get that distraction down. No one needs to see that for any longer. What are we to expect? What is this woman on the beast all about? Well, let's, let's, let's look, let's see. Uh, she's destri- described as a prostitute, the great prostitute. Uh, we're told she deceives, she leads astray the entire world. We're told she's rich, She's also immoral and violent, a a persecutor of the saints. Uh, We're told that she's given the name Babylon. Uh, Not the literal city Babylon, uh, it's figurative. We we see throughout Revelation, uh, God's people are represented by the city Jerusalem, the the new Jerusalem. Uh, Babylon is the city in opposition to that. It's the world, it's the other way. Babylon, the the city that was in rebellion against God, Babylon that stood in opposition to his ways, she can be represented by that name. In John's day, uh, that was best seen in the city of Rome. So in verse 9, she's said to sit on seven hills, just like the real city of Rome did. But even that is just a symbol for us because she's far more than just Rome or any other city. She is representative of the entire way of life that rejects God and seeks to find its own way. She is this other way. We're told that the saints follow Jesus. We're told here that the world follows Babylon. After all, she promises much, doesn't she? Everything that you desire is promised by the world, by Babylon. Riches and power and luxuries, all the lusts of your heart can be met by her. Uh, She looks really attractive. She's, she's dressed 
finally she's displaying her riches, uh, offering all of this to anyone who comes to her. She says, all of this can be yours. But ultimately all that she is, is death. Her promises look good, but all she delivers is destruction to her and to all her followers as well. Babylon is a bit like an anglerfish. I don't know if you've ever seen an anglerfish. I've got a picture in case you've never seen one. Um, they're not pretty. No, that's not pretty as well, but there you go. That's an anglerfish. Uh, it is a face only a mother could love. <laughs> don't worry, you'll never see one snorkelling. Uh, they're, they're deep sea. You'll never catch one fishing unless you're terribly unlucky. Uh, they live down in the darkest bits of the ocean, uh, right down deep. It is pitch black darkness where you'll find an anglerfish. I don't know if you see that dangly thing on its head. Uh, it's not a unicorn. That is a light. And it shines in this midst of this cold, dark ocean. It's this little bright light. And for any little fish, any little creature passing by, that's all they see. And they can't help but come and have a look. After all, light is good. Light is interesting. Light maybe promises warmth, uh, potentially food. But all that is actually there is that mouth and a fearsome set of teeth. Uh, at first glance, that light looks good, but all that is delivered is death. And that is the prostitute of Revelation 17. She looks good, potentially promises much, but is deadly dangerous. And therefore, we're told to have nothing to do with her. Uh, chapter 18, verse 4, the voice from the throne, the voice of God speaks, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. See, this picture, this, this picture is a warning picture of the woman riding the beast. It is a warning. But it is not primarily a warning for the world. It is primarily a warning for the churches that it's addressed to. We are being told that here is danger... Here is temptation. The woman is acting in this world, leading the world astray, but tempting God's people too. Saying, come and compromise on Jesus. Come and have a taste of what I offer. Come and partake in my ways. And that is why the command that we're given here is, is so abrupt. Come out of her. It's, it, this picture is put before us so that we will see her for who and what she is for a great prostitute, for terrible danger and have nothing to do with her. What we're, we're being shown is that the world that we live in is not just a neutral place, it's not a place we can live carefree lives in. It is a dangerous place that is seeking to take us away from Jesus. There is malice born by the powers of this world. And so we ought to have nothing to do with them. We ought to come out of them. Uh, the command here is an echo of what God said to Lot in Sodom. Get out, run, flee. Not only is there danger here, but there is destruction coming. So get away. God has saved his people for better than this. He has saved his people to be holy, to be righteous, to be pure, to be faithful to him and to receive the crown that he has promised. He has not saved them to grow fat on the treasures that the world might offer. That's why this passage tells us to test our lives carefully. 
to make sure that we are coming out of her and her attractions, to warn ourselves against being worldly, against living this, this woman's values rather than Jesus. It's saying, look at your life and be aware. Test yourself. Are you driven first and foremost by a love for Jesus, by a desire to serve and to be about the work that he's given? I mean, after all, he said following is costly, following is hard. Are we willing to pay that price? Or are we more caught up in worldly desires? Are we caught up in looking for the easier path through life? Are we more concerned for our comforts, for, for maybe just doing the bare minimum of, of Christianity or maybe even for going for Jesus and Jesus and a bit of a taste of the world? The, the prostitute here is portrayed for us in, in great riches and, and growing fat on the luxuries of the world and isn't that just one of the great temptations of our time in particular and of our society in particular? We, we live in an affluent society Riches are all around us uh, and ways to get those riches are all before us. Our world promises much, it promises more and there is a danger that we might have bought into that. I mean, let's ask ourselves, does Jesus rule how we steward our money and our time and our energy? Is he king of our finances? I mean, after all, we're told that the Christian life ought to look distinct from the world. Well, does it? Is how you spend or save or consume different from your non-Christian neighbours and friends? Or are we also looking for the latest or the biggest or the best? Are we treating our money and our time as if these were things that we had earned for ourselves rather than resources given? Are we noticeably sacrificial? Uh, C.S. Lewis had this guideline for, for Christian households. Uh, he said the Christian household's standard of living ought to be noticeably less than other households in the same culture and of similar income because the Christian household strives to indulge its own desires less and to share with others more. Can that be said about our household? Does our giving, does our generosity with time or money or energy, does that limit our lifestyle? Or is it limited by our lifestyle? And that's only one thing. What about our morality? What, the, what about the way we look at sex? What about the way we look at parenting? What about the way we speak? Are we speaking from worldly values or from godly values? Are we, we living of the woman's ways or of the lamb's? Who do our lives look like? Who do our what does our mind and desires look like? Are we compromised by the world or how much have we been compromised by the world? See, not only does this command tell us what to do, but it also points out our need for repentance because it is all too easy for us to give in to the temptations of this world, to be like this world and to seek after its treasures. We need to pray uh, for God to open our eyes, to help us to see where we've compromised, 
to forgive us and to help us to treasure the things of him and to resist sin, to help us to live in this world but not of this world. Why is that so important? Well, we see it clearly in the rest of these chapters. It's important because the end of the woman is coming. Because all of her splendour, all of her power, all of the riches that she so readily displays, all of that is going to be utterly destroyed. Uh, We see her there, the the picture in verse 17, she's riding this bizarre sounding beast. It's got lots of heads, it's got even more horns. Uh, It's a confusing picture. But thankfully the angel says, this is what it means. Look at verse 9 through 12 of chapter 17. This calls for a mind with wisdom. That tells us right out. We're not looking for some strange and mysterious meaning. It tells us we can work out what this is all about. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. Sorry, it sounds like that. (laughs) Uh, We're told these horns, these kings, uh, these heads, they are kings. Uh, They are earthly powers, they are earthly rulers. Uh, We're not told to identify them with certain people or certain kings uh, because that's not the point. The the ten represents that these kings will be around the world. They'll be global in power. The seven represents complete power, a fullness of power. This is not an isolated event. This is not one country's problem. This is a global power, a global issue. Uh, We're told that the the woman rides on this beast, this grotesque beast. These powers are in ally. Together they oppose believers, together they oppose God. But even though at first they work together, it doesn't take long before they turn on each other. Look at verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 16. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. See, a day is coming, a time will be when all this power will turn on the woman. They will strip her, they will kill her. We're being told evil will fight against itself. Evil will implode, it will self-destruct, it will forever not only be warring against us, but warring against itself as well. Uh, And this is not just a convenient happening, this is actually part of God's plan. God himself is putting it into their hearts. It is God's will that evil be destroyed and so it will be. By itself and by his power working even through these evil powers. And that destruction will be total. Babylon will be utterly cast down. All her finery will be stripped. Her pride will be savaged and it will be all gone. And even though the world itself has contributed to her fall, the world will mourn her fall. We see that through chapter 18, verse 9. The the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning. They will weep and mourn over her. Same in verse 11. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. 
Uh, again in verse 17, every sea captain, all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea uh, will stand far off. They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out. Uh, see, the world will see the destruction of this beast, they will, the, uh, of the woman. They will see uh, her end and, and not be repentant, not see how depraved she was, not see how lost she was, not regret uh, being involved with her. Instead, they're going to mourn. Uh, the, the, the contrast is remarkable. We have been called, we saw that, like Lot, to come out of her. But the world, like Lot's wife, looks back on her, regrets, uh, misses her loss and as such is caught up in her destruction and is devastated by the calamities that come upon her. This is the end of Babylon. This is the end of the worldly way of life and this is why it is foolish to look at her and long for her. Uh, when I was younger, um, I remember hearing in the news or reading in the paper every so often stories uh, of these kids uh, who would receive the most amazing gifts. Um, they'd be given trips you know, to Disneyland or the Gold Coast. They'd get to meet uh, all sorts of celebrities. They'd get all sorts of experiences uh, given to them, um, amazing technology, all those sorts of things. But for myself and for, for my friends, we were never jealous of those kids. Uh, we never wanted to trade places with them because, you see, all of those gifts came from the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, or, likewise, foundations. And who would want those things, as good as they are, knowing that with them comes the sickness to merit it uh, or the illness or the loss and all those difficulties. And that's why we don't want Babylon. That's why her treasures and her ways are not tempting. Because although they promise temporary pleasure, they are ultimate destruction. The grass might look greener, but it will kill you. Instead, we are called to rejoice. Chapter 18, verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Rejoice, because justice will be done. All the depravities, all the immoralities that Babylon will do, all her violence against God's people, it will all be overthrown and the true measure of justice will be laid upon her. She will be repaid. Everything that she has done will meet its just consequence and God will bring it down upon her. And so we're called to rejoice for what is right will be done in the end. But we're called to rejoice not just because that will happen, not just because justice will come. We are called to rejoice because far better is coming. Come with me to chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Uh, I, I really like clicks crackers. 
don't know if you like Clix crackers, they're delicious. There's just something about them, they're salty, then they're sweet and they just dissolve in your mouth. I, I could just eat lots of Clix crackers. The other day uh, I was driving and I was very hungry. Uh, the sort of hunger you know you can't quite ignore. And it just so happened there was a full box of Clix crackers in the car. Uh, just sitting there on the floor of the front seat and I could see it. Uh, you know, we've got kids, so it's better to have food on hand rather than noise. <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way, but hopefully. But see, even though this box of Clix crackers was staring me in the face, uh, I didn't touch it. Uh, I didn't have any, I didn't open it, not just because I had Jethro in the car and didn't want him to see them. Uh, I didn't have any because we were on the way to a wedding. And at this wedding, I knew there was an amazing chef and an abundance of fantastic food, even better than Clix crackers, as hard as that is to imagine. And for all who have put their trust in Jesus, there is a wedding coming, and its riches far outweigh this world. They are so much better. This prostitute, she is dressed in scarlet, but we will be dressed in white. She is filthy with countless abominations, And we are pure and cleansed. She is destined only for destruction. We are destined only for eternity. She is of the beast and we are of the lamb who was slain. Uh, As I I sat there at the wedding last Saturday, um, beautiful wedding, uh, it struck me that there is little better than a good wedding. You are there with family and friends, people you love. There is great food and drink in incredible quantities Uh, You're all dressed in your best, you look great and feel good. Uh, There's fun and laughter, even the dumbest jokes are hilarious at weddings. Uh, You get to talk and catch up with all these people you don't ever get to see really. You get to sing and dance, well some people get to dance uh, and celebrate. You get to just share in the sheer joy of all these people that you love and it's wonderful and weddings are great. But even the best, even the most incredible earthly wedding is but the palest shadow of the wedding of the Lamb. Because there we have the place of honour. There we will sit in this glory that never ceases. There every single day is going to be better than the day that came before it. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Have nothing to do with the cheap temptations of the prostitute. Instead rejoice in the riches of the Lamb that are yours already and will be yours for eternity. Uh, We started with the question, is it wrong to bring children into the world? I mean, I I think we all know, we're all here, so the answer is clearly no. Uh, God says we should, but he says here we should do it wisely. We should teach our kids, we should teach each other. This world is not a neutral place. It is full of temptations and powers that seek to lure us into danger. Uh, This world is a battlefield. We've seen it before in Revelation. There is a fight going on but there is a king in charge. So Sam and Nat, you can teach Andy and the rest of your kids this. Uh, Church, as as we've committed already ourselves to teach Andy and our kids and each other all of this, to speak to each other of the better future, to live lives that witness to the glory that is to come, to tell each other, to tell the world that there is far better on offer and to put their hope in the Lamb. See this world in all its gaudy corruption and reject it. 
and treasure the lamb and the feast that is to come. Love Jesus, prize his riches, resist the woman and rejoice in the wedding supper of the lamb. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be wise uh, how we live in this world as your people. Father, keep reminding us every day that we are strangers in this world, passing through it, and that our real home is yet to come. Father, open our eyes to see the world really as it is. Open our eyes to see where we have compromised and help us to repent, to treasure what is of you, to put your values first in our life. Father, help us look forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb that is to come. May he be our treasure in this life and our protection against the temptations of the world. Help us to live for him. Help him to be king of our lives, we pray. In his name, amen.